It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell. You may recall that BZE presented the Northern Territory 10 gigawatt vision several weeks ago and we're following up with a series of programs providing business, government and community reactions to the plan. Today's show features an engineer who works in power supply in the Northern Territory. Grant Chorvat is the General Manager Assets and Operations at Territory Generation. Grant, who is an electrical engineer and very active in Engineers Australia, was at the BZE Northern Territory launch. And not only did he agree with the Northern Territory vision, he thinks Australia can do much more. Our intrepid reporters, Kay and Mike, were there to discuss his personal perspective on ideas for renewable opportunities in Australia and the issues that need to be addressed. Welcome, Grant. And I'll start firstly by asking you, who is Territory Generation? Who owns it? What is it? Uh, Territory Generation is a government-owned corporation of the Northern Territory. So its shareholder is Territory Generation Government through the Treasurer and we operate in a number of grids in the Northern Territory, Darwin Catherine, Alice Springs, Tennant Creek, Yulara and Kings Canyon. And so the grid goes from Darwin to Catherine and then you've got standalone power stations in Alice Springs and Kings Canyon. And Tennant Creek, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. So Darwin Catherine uh, and Catherine's connected by 300 kilometre plus 132 kV transmission line. Mm-hmm. And you're an electrical engineer by training? You have quite some credentials <laughs> with um, massive experience in Tassie, in the uh, Snowy running yeah, section. Yeah, I've worked snowy. in Snowy Hydro and in Hydro Tasmania. I was the controller for the Bass Strait Island, so we did generation, mm-hmm. transmission, and retail. So I've actually covered all those oh, in a, on a smaller areas. scale. And they've done some fantastic stuff in terms of hybrid renewable energy, really uh, leading the world in many ways. So we understand you're not talking on behalf of, of Territory Generation, but as an engineer, we're interested in your reactions to the report yesterday. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I'm um, actually in the uh, Engineers Australia Northern Division as well and mm-hmm. often judge on panels for Engineer of the Year and I things like that. that. Yeah. Uh, unashamedly a, a passionate engineer. Now let's get on to this plan that BZE has proposed and there's many facets to it. What was your take of it yesterday? I think it will be a good start because I'm quite a, an advocate of a future hydrogen economy myself. And we I were going to get to, way to go. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm quite passionate about that. I can see the... Uh, different technologies emerging. It's both a great challenge and a great opportunity for not just the Northern Territory but Australia. We have some of the greatest solar resources in the world across Northern Australia, between Western Australia, Northern Territory and Queensland. And 
there's great opportunity in Australia being able to export our sunshine and actually be an energy provider to the world. And that was part of the BZE plan. I think it was producing about $2.9 billion of export hydrogen. Yep, as I said, that's a really good start. To replace basically the energy used in electricity in Australia, we'd need something like between 60 and 80 gigawatts, not 10, Mm -hmm. uh, to replace that. In Australia. Just in Australia. So for us to export, and I know Alan Tinkle used some similar figures, we would need something like seven or eight hundred gigawatts. So for the Northern Territory, to export. for the Northern Territory, however, which is a standalone grid, how much do you need? We currently peak at three hundred megawatts, which is a fraction of for 10 the whole gigawatts. for the whole territory. That's just for for Darwin, but it's ninety mm-hmm. percent of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we've we've got about six hundred megawatts of generating capacity. Uh, which we obviously don't use all the time, mm. but we produce approximately 1.7 terawatt hours of electricity that's sold each year in the Compared Northern Compared to Australia being a total of about uh, of over 200, 220 terawatt hours per year for the whole of Australia. So mm. if you went to the 10 gigawatt vision for the Northern Territory, you would have ample electricity to generate hydrogen for each Well, in, in my view, if you restrict yourself to, I've got to put all of this power into the grids, that won't work. It's it's actually too much. Mm-hmm. But this is not powering to the grids. This is for well, hydrogen generation. What you've got to do is produce hydrogen. Yes. Some of some of it can go into the grid, but, you know, really quite a, a small yeah. percentage. Yeah. The whole aim is to produce the hydrogen. Companies have come undone in Australia because it's quite rigorous to actually connect into the grid mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. be stable and satisfied mm-hmm. all and all of that, and yeah. it's um, quite, quite onerous. If all you've got to do is produce hydrogen, it's actually much simpler. Are you very familiar with the hydrogen process? Uh, like, for example, do you know whether it can be ramped up and down quickly? With yes, I do. For example, and everyone talks about, you know, we use batteries to do it. So batteries are okay for a couple of hours. Yep. They're not okay for overnight no. uh, or no. days no. or no. weeks that, when the sun might not what, shine. On the long scale, you get hydrogen hydro. Yep. But in uh, between... And pump hydro is okay, but we, we don't have anything of scale here. And I've worked for, you know, Hydro Tasmania, which is going to be the battery of the nation. Yes. And, you know, Snowy Hydro 2.0. But it's a long way for you to send your electricity. But that's a long way. And, <laughs> and they're, they're pretty unique circumstances that is not in the, one of the driest countries on earth. We actually, mm. we've probably used a lot of it already. Hydrogen, I think, is the answer. It gives that long-term storage. It, it provides... You can convert it to other uh, you, fuels. You can convert it to other fuels. You can transport Romania, it and turn it in Romania. You can become a fertiliser, feedstock for chemical processes and things like that. Mm. So it's quite versatile. You've got Toyota and Hyundai um, and of course, working on uh, fuel cell electric vehicles. Yeah. Well, they have them already. Yeah, they have They're them already. available. And there's a company called Nikola who is already making fuel cell trucks that will provide the transport area. And you've got places like Norway already working on fuel cell ferries and the maritime industry has already flagged up that at least half their fleet will be running on ammonia by 2040. Japan wants a lot of hydrogen, so does Korea, and Germany and Europe are already saying they're going to be doing a lot. You've got gas networks in the UK already converting to hydrogen-ready piping and converting over to that. So there's there's actually quite a a big build-up of that now. So batteries will respond in like a tenth of a second. Yep. Mm. So they're really good for holding the frequency at, at 50 hertz. 
talking to uh, a supplier of electrolyzers, their time constant is more 12 to 15 seconds. So you can turn their power up and down at 10 to 15 second time range. So you can control the average power with those. So you could uh, produce what you want for electricity and whatever is excess to that, you ramp up and down your electrolyzers to turn them into hydrogen. So they actually work quite well together. But just a little bit slower response than the Yeah, it's a slower response. Yep. Mm. Okay. So let's step back a bit. At the moment, you're running um, power generators throughout the Territory, all open cycle gas nearly. Yeah, we have one combined cycle unit at Channel Island, but the rest are open cycle gas, some of them turbines, and some now very high efficiency gas spark engines. For example, the the new Yenbacker engines that we're putting in Alice Springs are just as efficient as a combined cycle. That's actually the other advantage of hydrogen that is sticking it in existing fuel. That's right. Yeah, the advantage is we can pump up you know, up to you know, 10% hydrogen into our existing LNG gas pipelines. Yes, but the problem is that we don't have the time to transition from gas slowly um, to hydrogen. Given the um, situation that the planet is in, we have to now go to zero carbon very, very quickly, and that means foregoing gas and going straight to alternative I think that's a good intention, energy. but also being an engineer and a project manager, if you're going to build 700 gigawatts of solar... We, we should have started a long time ago. In my view, we've got to be quite bold to achieve the targets we need in the little time we have left. We need to basically be producing robot trains that will build you know, hundreds of kilometres of, at a time uh, of putting solar panels up, make those panels and all of the supporting structure in Australia. It'll actually produce a lot of employment and build them on a production scale Yes. to produce enough in time. Yes. And that is a great challenge. So yeah. well, that, that's not going, going to happen in six months or a year. That will take be, a decade or two. It'll only become a greater challenge as time goes on. So oh, yeah. at some stage we have to bite the bullet. It's an mm. inevitability that this is the way we have to go. I agree. But, but this is the guts of why I wanted to talk to you today because in the workshop yesterday you obviously got the urgency of the climate emergency really strongly, much more strongly than most people, and yeah. and to my mind, that is where we're at. But you're also raising the issue of, <laughs> it's almost too late, We, as you say, we need to be producing these things right now, and you raise the issue of resources, not just physical resources, but human resources and STEM training and so exactly. on. Exactly. So as part that. of Engineers Australia, we're, we're very keen to, and everyone's heard of STEM, so, yep. so we need to have STEM on, on steroids because we need enormous resources into the future in terms of engineers, in terms of trade people. And you're talking so about Australia-wide. Australia-wide. Yeah, not just Northern Territory. That's right, Australia-wide. So we really need to ramp that up So at our schools, our universities. If you look at what it took to build the snowy mountains and hydrogen, that was done over decades. We don't have that time this time, and they had to train up a lot of people. Mm-hmm. This is a great opportunity to upskill Australia to be able to do this, provide the resources we need it and build it in time, but you can't do that overnight. So that's kind of what I'm saying is it will take us maybe you know three to five years to actually start ramping up with the resources we need, the technology, start ramping up robot trains and start replicating those to be able to start building up the rate at which we build it. It'll yeah. take probably five years to start to ramp up to speed, and then another maybe 10 to 15 to actually build it. 
this is not an overnight quick fix. It definitely isn't it? And the BZE plan is a 10-year plan anyway for, for what it's proposing. Yeah. But you are actually <clears throat> ideally placed as territory generation because you, you control the whole generation for the territory to start that process as quickly as um, possible. We're a supplier, so power and water system control actually control generation in the, North, ah, okay. in the Northern Territory. Right. Okay. We're, a, we're a supplier. We're not the only supplier. The main... We're the main supplier, yes. Supply. Mm. Do, so do you not have very much sway in that respect? We're being asked to participate in the market design, but I think the philosophy is that a lot of private money and private investors wanted for this, and they don't really see that happening through the, uh, the, the government corporation. So th- this probably brings us full circle back to the report that was launched yesterday. What do you see as the chances of that being implemented? What do you see as the, the blocking or the, what positive sides to it do you see? There was, listeners might recall from if they heard this week's program that we went through seven suggested major areas of activity. It's not just one activity. But always, as always, politics can block or, hint or help this. And, and in, in Australia, it's been notorious for blocking it. What do you think might happen in the Northern Territory here? I think it's a, a great opportunity. We've got some markets that will probably take our green hydrogen as fast as we can produce it. There's oh, actually yeah. a premium for green hydrogen yeah. overseas. So we, we, we need to get, get but on will with will we recognise that quickly enough here? And Alan Finkel believes that we can, mm. and he's been speaking That's to right. COAG trying mm. to activate the whole thing. So, yes, I believe we can. It will be dependent on political will and it's always a matter of resources. I mean, John F. Kennedy mobilised America to get a man on the moon in 10 years, and they did it. Mm. They spent a lot of money on it and mm. put a lot of the best people and resources mm. on it that mm. the, the money attracted. Well, look um, at the mining boom here in Australia, the last mining boom. $400 billion was invested in it, 200,000-odd jobs. You know, it ramps up very quickly. It was only over a period of 10 years. We can do the same again. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, in many ways, this will replace the oil and gas and coal industry. So all the stuff that goes there, because we have to decarbonise, which means oil, gas and coal have to be significantly less than they are now. We haven't even reached peak coal yet. We're still burning more coal every year mm. than the year before. Yes. We haven't even started to haven't turn, even the, peak turn the water yet. Yeah. 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 But it looks like we're sitting here with option A, this proposal to frack a major part of the Northern Territory to go to go gas. Option B, the one that's just been put, is to, to go to renewables and multiples of the amount of renewables with a view to investing in energy-intensive exports as well. How do you see those two playing off of the balance? To, will it be determined by politics, by economics? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the economics stand up, apparently. Well, renewables is, is getting cheaper. And in, in, in the long run, that's the way we have to go. But, yeah, I mean, politics and economics are a big part of it and that will drive it. My personal view as a father and grandfather in terms of saving the planet for our kids is the sooner we get on and do this, the better because the time's running out. So my personal view would be we need to get on and I think 10 gigawatts is a great start mm-hmm. for the first couple of years, but we need... You know, six or seven hundred gigawatts, not ten. I what like about, your vision. What about your personal view as an engineer involved in electricity generation? Do you think economically you can beat the gas proposals? I'd have to do my modelling and sums to know that exactly. <laughs> uh, and I think there's a lot more work to do. I'm also a great believer in uh, in modelling all of this. 
Yeah. Because we can have big ideas, but you actually need to sit down and do the models and, and work that out and find, I guess, the, the break-even points and where the technology... The technology is rapidly advancing. So electrolyzers are getting bigger and cheaper. Mm-hmm. Fuel cell cars, you know, from Toyota, Hyundai, uh, trucks from Nikola, ferries like that. They're electric all, planes. Yeah, electric planes, hydrogen planes. Hydrogen mm-hmm. planes. Are starting to really advanced. Mm-hmm. The research and development uh, has been big on batteries for a while but in terms of fuel cell that's where I think the future is as well and certainly the Chinese government thinks the same because yep. they're shifting away from battery electric vehicles towards fuel cell electric vehicles. You did mention in passing that you're fairly active in Engineers Australia. Do you have a feel for where that organisation feels things are going? Yeah, actually we're doing a bit of work on that and I guess trying to ramp up Engineers Australia's leadership in this. This is such a big societal issue for the people of the whole planet. And uh, certainly engineers are ideal, as it is under our charter, is is to improve the quality Mm. and standard of life for all people. It's quite a a service-orientated approach. And the the engineering and the infrastructure and the R&D required to do all this... Mm is very much an engineering skill function and engineers will be basically the foot soldiers of this change into the future. Uh, we haven't got enough, which is why we mm-hmm. need to train more and huge thing for, yeah. for us to do. Yesterday you were part of, it was broken up into actually a number of groups where you were part of the hydrogen work group and there was the finance and comms and the technical groups. Is that a good way to start this whole process, to start analysing all the different aspects of it and, and starting to get into the detail and the, the, the design of it? Yes. <laughs> How would There's it... lots of aspects to it and working out how it all fits together. I think the electricity business and keeping our system stable is actually quite a complex thing. I mean, it's complicated for the people well, it... in the business, yet alone... The general public. It's the huge supply chain with no storage. And there's not a lot of understanding that it's it's not a game of averages. It's like, you know, oh, we can get, you know, seven hours worth of solar and the average across the day is this. There's no sun at night time, so storage is a factor. But also, every second we have to keep, to run an AC system... Just in time supply. We need uh, supply equaling demand, um, you know, every second of the day, not just... For some of the day, uh, and that's quite a complex interaction. As, it's a miracle as you have variable yeah. renewables, yes, and mixing all those together yeah. into a system that is stable and works is a very complex affair, and that needs to be taken into account as you design these systems. Mm-hmm. And, and you see and a major role for hydrogen as in this transformation. Abs- absolutely, because it acts as a battery apart from all the other yeah, things. And, and I've got a real, real example of this that we've talked about for a little while. With so much solar now being built into Alice Springs, and I actually consider Alice Springs really one of the forefronts of renewable penetration in Australia, there are times when... Because it, it has winter, the highest penetration in the world. We've right? been watching our low loads during the day, so the lowest loads during the day were 14 megawatts only you know, three or four years ago. Now we're getting under 8 megawatts. And we've got to keep a certain amount of machines on to, to take account of the variability when the, the clouds yeah. go over. What they call and spinning, we're now seeing, spinning reserve. Yeah, so we have spinning reserve on for that. So we run more to allow more solar to be on. And we're now seeing 8 megawatt swings when the clouds go over. 
and we're trying to keep the system stable. Yeah. There will be a time as we get more and more solar, so there's a couple of megawatts every year that we're seeing getting less and less in Alice Springs that's yeah. rooftop solar yeah. uh, and some larger solar developments. We will see a point where the net load in the middle of the day will be less than zero. Mm, so where right. will that power go? Yes. Okay? I actually see electrolyzers and hydrogen as the answer to that problem as well. Yes. Because, as I said, about a 10 to 15 second time constant, you can convert the excess electricity into hydrogen and pump it into our uh, LNG lines and be able to use it Mm. overnight. It's stored energy. One of our other guests on the show a a year or more ago was doing a project in an airport up in um, northwestern of Western Australia, and part of their requirement with the Electricity Authority was to give them at least half-hour warning of changes in load as clouds come over. So they actually had predictive cameras looking at the sky, mm. and predict, and they can easily predict that time. Yep. And, and that, like, if you've got a 5, 10, 15-second response and you've got half-hour notice, it's no problem at all, is it? Uh, well, actually, some of the cloud things are faster. So a lot of these things you actually need a combination. So uh, having a battery for the really fast moves... Yep. Okay, and then having electrolyzers to be able to handle the, the average level as you go through the day is what you need. You actually need a combination of these things. Mm. There is no single answer. And I think that that's important for the listeners to understand yeah. that there's tiers of, of yeah. response and cost. And when you come to, I guess, diversity of, of renewable generation, so it's, it's non-firm, it's, uh, you can't, I guess, dispatch it and say, you know, at 10 o'clock I'm going to have this much and at 10.30 I'm going to have this... Uh, you get what you get, whether it's uh, wind uh, or solar or tidal or uh, wherever you actually get your source of renewable energy. The more diversity you have, the more you even it out and, and mix that up. Mm. But what you've got to have is a way of storing it in between mm. so that you can have enough when you need it mm. uh, and when you don't need it, you're storing it away yeah. for later. So you actually need quite a diversity mm. and you need a way of moving that around. So... Having transmission lines all over the place can be quite expensive, but gas pipelines are actually not a bad way to, to move that, that energy around. And in terms of exporting it over, overseas, which our intent is, mm-hmm. converting it into ammonia, which is actually, there's already a, a very big network of transporting ammonia around the world on ships right yeah. now. Yes. You don't have yeah. to build that new. It's used for fertilisers yeah. and it's a known quantity. Yeah. Listeners might think... Okay, we've got these gas pipelines. You're talking about hydrogen. Why don't we use those pipelines to put hydrogen through? Yeah, up to a certain level. But you can actually retrofit those. You know, we've got some you know, large investment in those pipelines. You can't just stick that yeah. hydrogen in the pipeline because it embrittles the metal, doesn't it? Yeah, if you go over 10%, the hydrogen yes. can actually go through steel. Yep. The atoms are that small. It's so small. And you get hydrogen embrittlement, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a problem for the integrity of those pipelines. Yep. However, you can go back through uh, and put things called smart pigs through and actually line Line. them with plastic or epoxy epoxy to actually stop the hydrogen going through. Mm -hmm. So all of that is doable in time. And certainly if we're going to produce the amount of hydrogen we're talking about, you're going to need new pipelines that you will specifically design for that anyway. And that's practical. That's very practical. So instead of building that gas pipeline that the Labor Party proposed from the Northern Territory to Queensland, you could just make that a hydrogen pipeline to start off with. 
Yeah, well, they've built the pipeline from uh, around Tennant Creek across the Mount Isa, so that that's already there. So the Northern Territory is connected to the Eastern Seaboard's gas system now. What was the, the Federal Labor proposal? Oh, to expand the size of it? Yeah. Well, you yeah. can up the pressure as well, but yes, you can yeah. get more. Because once you've got the basically the easement to go through, that's a, a big part of getting gas pipelines in. Once that's there, you can put extra ones in. Still significant cost, but yeah. you don't have to do the whole thing all over again because yeah. you've already got the easement. We talked a little bit earlier before this about the NEM and the Northern Territory at the moment is a standalone grid and isn't part of the NEM. It's actually got the opportunity to create, with renewables, create a whole new infrastructure and set of rules rather than follow the NEM, which is broken and broken very badly. How would that work? How would you even propose to begin to make up those new rules? Well, there's a, a working group working on those rules right now. Uh, I in, think in, what, in what's the Northern Territory, in the Northern Territory yeah. being well, driven by the government, and we are having some involvement in that. Parent Water, quite a strong involvement. I think the Northern Territory has some great advantages in being small and being able to make up its own rules. I think, yep. in my personal view, uh, it's the wrong time to be copying the NIM. Because yep. the NEM is now out of date when it comes to renewables and what we've got to do into the future. Yep. The, the market and the incentives are set up for the wrong things that we've got to now do. And we have a great opportunity to set the, the incentives and markets up for what we now have to do and do that in the, in the right way. Yep. But we have to have a pretty f- fresh approach to doing that. This is not about copying the, the NEM and no. making a few adjustments around the side. Yep. This is about ensuring the incentives are right so that people uh, will invest and create the right things to get to that future. The, the two ministers, there were two um, energy ministers, one's climate change minister and one's environment minister, I think. I thought both of them were very positive about the, the plan that BZE launched yesterday. Hmm. It oh, it is positive. Um, and I think in terms of the, the economic future of the Northern Territory, our grand plan for Australia which obviously includes the Northern Territory as a resource, it's got great resources in solar, yep. uh, not just minerals, is a great opportunity. And the faster that we can make that happen, the better it will be for the Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. This will bring a lot of people, business, and if we do it in the right way and keep, I guess, the, the assets in Australia's hands yep. and not yep. sell it off to multinationals... Which um, is a fundamental and things part like of that, proposal. Uh, I know that our superannuation funds... And I'm certainly, and I've got money in a superannuation fund, I want them to invest in this sort of infrastructure and create a better future, not just climate-wise, but economically for our kids into the future as well, because we have a great product to sell. Um, We've got a lot of scaling up to do here. As I said, I think 10 gigawatts is a really good start, but it's just the beginning. And we have to do a lot more. What a wonderful note to end up on. Yes, we'll be the... um, I guess the Middle East of the world when it comes to renewable energy. Fantastic. Thank you very much. My pleasure. You've been listening to an interview with Greg Chorvat, General Manager Assets and Operations at Territory Generation, about his reactions to the BZE Northern Territory vision. To find out more, go to the BZE website or Google Territory Generation. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the website 
parts of BZE and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.